how can we, how can we ever thank you enough? How can we even imagine what that day will be like? And until then, Lord, I ask that you be with, not only with all our church members, but with all people. I ask that your, your message of salvation will be known to, to all the world. The people won't walk away, won't turn their backs on you, Lord. That they'll realize the truth of who you are and what you desire for us. Now, Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, seems like we're never going to finish uh, these chapters from Isaiah from 8 through 12. In fact, we probably won't finish all of them before Pastor Parmar returns in a couple weeks here. I don't know, I don't know exactly when, but we'll keep going until he does. Okay, uh, I'm just going to repeat one paragraph from last week that God has Isaiah prophesy that when God has done using the Assyrian king to do what he wants him to do, then God will do his work upon that king. As a miserable of a time as it will be for Zion, God designs to do good to them by his providence. When God uses anyone to teach his disobedient children, it is in order to perform some great work upon them. Then, and only then, he will work deliverance for them. First, First, he's going to deal with his people that have been disobedient. And then he'll bring deliverance. When God brings his people trouble, it is to try them. To bring their sins to their remembrance. And to humble their souls and their insolent hearts. So he has a reason for it. And the bottom line is, he wants us back again. God hasn't moved. Only his people have moved. God's still, I like to say, just as close as the air on my cheek now that I've shaved. He's just that close. All the time. You look around and you say, oh, what a beautiful day. And we forget to say, thank you for this beautiful day, Lord. He's right there. He's, he, 
It's just overwhelming. So now, getting on to verse 16 of chapter 10. Therefore, shall the Lord, the Lord of hosts, send his fat ones to leanness, and under his glory he shall kindle a fire, kindle a burning, excuse me, like the burning of a fire. And the light of Israel shall be for a fire, and his holy one for a flame. And he shall burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. And it shall consume the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field, fruitful field, good one, both soul and body. And they shall be as when a standard bearer fainteth, and the rest of the trees of the forest shall be few, that a child may write them. Isaiah now tells us how the destruction of the Assyrian king and his army shall happen. First of all, we have to understand who is going to cause this destruction. And Isaiah tells us, the Lord, the Lord of hosts. God will do it. Not the armies of Judah or Jerusalem. Not Hezekiah and his princes who were really no match for the might of Assyria to begin with, but God himself, the Lord of hosts, who has all creatures at his command and uses them as he commands. The one who can give the victory to whomever he desires. We have no reason to fear the hosts of any enemy because we have, for our protector, the Lord of Lords, the very God Almighty, the great I Am. I want to interject something here that's not in Isaiah. It's something that has happened to me while I've been so intently studying the prophet Isaiah. That is the awareness in my mind and heart of the phrase, the great I am. Mark Lowry, the writer of the song, Mary, Did You Know, was Daniel Neal sing so beautifully. Ends the song with, this little boy you're holding is the great I am. It so closely brings me to tears every time I hear it sung. This little boy you're holding is the great I am. This is so holy a statement that devout Jews would not even speak it. They would not even say I am. That's why they got so upset at Jesus. When you said, before Abraham, I am. That to them, they were ready to stone him, if you remember. 
because that was something that the devout Jew felt he couldn't even say. I've noticed so often in, in my Bible that when it says I am or am, it's italicized. I never noticed that before until a few days ago. I don't know whether your Bible is that way or not. But I've got the King James Life Application Study Bible, large print. And uh, every place the word am shows up, it's italicized. I just, you know, 82 years and I never saw it before. And this has brought me to actually hesitate each time I read, I am. And just briefly think about the fearful respect I should always have for his holiness. It's just, you know, I know some of you think I can't learn much at this age, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> this, is, this is something that just jumped out of God's word to me. And, it, and it's, I don't know how, well, I won't even say that. All I know is that from now on, when I'm reading and I see the word am, I am, I'm just going to stop briefly. So don't think I've lost my place. It's just, it just jumps out of the, out of the Bible at me. Okay, Isaiah says, he will send among his fat ones leanness. The Assyrian king's army was huge, and Isaiah calls it his fatness because of its size. But it shall be diminished in size and wasted away and become like a skeleton. Then, under his glory, he will kindle a burning as the burning of a fire. Like raging fire, what will be left of his army will be ruined. Just like a fire will leave a building in ashes. We can imagine such destruction when we think of the wildfires of California and Australia lately. This fire will be kindled by the light of Israel. God, who is a light of all, not only of those who believe in him, but of the whole world. God will be that consuming fire to those that rebel against him or refuse to believe in him. The light of Israel 
will be this same light that led Israel through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that guided Israel and struck terror into the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Who can hope to extinguish such a flame, such a light? The, Assyrians, the Assyrian king's officers and soldiers, known for their military might as well as their brutality, Isaiah calls briars and thorns that will be consumed in one day. When I were a young man, I used to do quite a bit of cutting, pruning, and land clearing. Often I would get involved clearing of briars, mostly wild blackberries and raspberries and, and other brambles, you know, locusts and like that. I guess no one else would do it. That's what they called me. Now, after cutting whatever the brambles were, I would put on a big, heavy coat to protect me from the thorns. And then I would gather all those briars and thorns and locust trees and like that in my arms and walk them over into the middle of the field. I'd pile them up there, waiting till there was snow on the ground so I could burn them. Well, after being piled for some time, they would be very dry and would almost explode in flames when ignited. And they'd burn very rapidly, leaving only ashes in a very short period of time. This came to mind when Isaiah said they were like briars and thorns devoured in one day. I can, I can see it. I can see his, his image of it just... <laughs> Isaiah likened Sennacherib's army to a forest, probably because of its huge size especially in a number of troops, that they looked like the trees of the forest and that the king gloried in that forest. He gloried in his troops, a massive army. Of course, he thought that the choicest troops, the veterans, the seasoned fighters, his bravest warriors were great, just like a huge forest. God said they would be consumed both soul and body. He, God, is the only one that can consume both soul and body. Whereas man can only kill the body. Matthew Henry says, Great armies before him are but as great woods which he can fell or fire when he pleases. What would be left of the great Assyrian army would be so few that Isaiah says a child could name them 
and count them. Next, when a standard bearer, now a standard bearer is one who carries the flag, knows it, known as a standard or colors of an army. Now when he falls and drops the standard, it is a traumatic time for those troops, often very demoralizing until another, if available, can pick it up, becoming the new standard bearer. We don't see much in today's coverage of the news of a standard bearer in a military operation. Most often the colors are kept back at the regimental or division headquarters, but they still carry the, the colors into battle, into the battle theater. Losing the standard or colors to the enemy is still so important that it's disgraceful. It brings disgrace upon those troops. Back in the 50s, some of you will remember the 50s, but an army regiment, regiment fighting in Korea, this was early in the 50, in 50 itself, that regiment was overrun and lost its colors to the enemy. That regiment is still in Korea today and will be until and if it can retrieve its colors in battle or if the truth, truce that exists between the U.S. and Korea ever results in a peace treaty ending the Korean conflict, then the regiment could be returned to the U.S., but unfortunately, the disgrace will go with them, the disgrace of losing its colors, unless and until the North Koreans or Chinese return its colors to the regiment. Now that's, that's today, folks. You don't hear about it, and you certainly don't make fun of it. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant would be so small when compared to the vast numbers of the people of Israel. They were said to be as a sand of the sea. This makes me think of the very few Jews that escaped the Holocaust, 
hollow cast. Just a remnant. But nevertheless, God always has a resonant remnant for his people. God sets a remnant aside to work his restoration. A reminder that, that while many are called, few are saved. Few are saved and set apart for God. And those, including us, are just barely saved. The remnant were saved from their sin of depending on the king of Assyria and his might rather than trusting and obeying God just as today. We are just barely saved by our prayers of repentance and desire of restoration through the blood of Jesus. I say just barely saved because it's not of our goodness that we are saved but of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which, if we're going to be honest, none of us deserve. None of us deserve God's unconditional love for sinners like us. A love that surpasses our ability to understand and comprehend. That's the one part of the promise that to me, the only thing I want to know is why he loved me so much. Why God, who knows me better than anyone else, loved me that much. I've shared before, I think, that while some people come to be saved because they want to avoid going to hell. I want to be saved so that I can understand God's love for me. The remnant shall return. Even the remnant of Jacob unto the mighty God. For though thy people be as a sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption even determined in the midst of all the land. They, the remnant, we, the remnant, but they shall return after the raising of the siege of Jerusalem. And not just to their land and homes, but they shall return to their God and their duty to him. Repenting, praying, seeking his face, ready to reform their lives. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 9, verse 27. 
says, Isaiah, which is Isaiah, also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. And in verse 29, and as Isaiah, or Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like Gomorrah. Paul applied this promise to the remnant of Jews, which at the first preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ received it and joined the family of new believers in the early church. Isn't it amazing that the same, same thought, the same thought process that was true in Isaiah's time was true in Paul's time and is true in our time. Those not of the remnant will be those consumed, Isaiah says, of the consumption of their lives and estates. They'll be consumed by the Assyrians. Which really makes the remnant so very fortunate to have escaped. God is the author of this consumption. He will see that it is accomplished. The Lord God of hosts, whom no, no one can resist, this consumption is determined and decreed by God, appointed as to how far it will extend, who shall be consumed by it, and who will not be consumed. It is an overflowing consumption that will overspread the land like a mighty flood, flowing over everything in its path. And it is not random in nature, but specific in whom and what it consumes. But our wise and gracious Lord will set bounds for it. Someone said, hitherto it shall come and no further. We talked about this last week. God set bounds. It'll go this far. If we're on this side, we're consumed. If we're on this side, we're saved. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwelleth in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. God truly exhorts his people not to be frightened by the threats of Sennacherib. However, the sinners in Zion should be afraid. But God's people that are serving him need not be afraid of any enemy because God has appointed and determined 
that the Assyrians only have permission to smite them with the rod. Excuse me just a minute. I've been fighting a cold for two or three days here, and I'm sorry. Ah, okay. He'll smite them with a rod to correct them, and not with his sword to slay them. He will lift up his staff and shake it to scare them. But just as the Egyptians at the Red Sea claimed they would pursue and overtake the Hebrews, found out that God had other plans for them. Not only for the Egyptians, but also for the Assyrians. Matthew Henry reminds us that we should not be frightened at those enemies that can do no more than frighten us. Don't be scared of ones that can only scare you. To put it in my, <laughs> my language for today, don't be, don't be afraid of people that can only scare you. For yet a little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger and their destruction. When God's, this is verse 25, if you're trying to follow me. When God's anger and indignation is satisfied, then the Assyrians will be turned back. They will be disarmed and disabled to do anything more. In this case, anything more against God's chosen people. Once the brief period of time, at, at least by God's standard of time, of the consumption of Israel is over, then they need not fear the fury of any man or nation. The enemy that is threatening Israel shall be reckoned with, shall receive the wrath of God. The rod which Assyria had shaken in the face of Israel should be laid aside. In fact, it will be thrown into the fire. Isaiah reminds the remnant of God's handling of their enemies in the past. Enemies that were very powerful, cruel, and merciless. But how they had all, in due time, been brought to ruin. If we think back to the Egyptians and the Midians and, you know, others that came along, God took care of it. Verse 26, And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him, meaning 
Zenacherib, according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. And as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift up after the manner of Egypt. Zenacherib had lifted up his rod against Israel, but now God shall stir up a scourge for him. The Assyrian king was a terror to God's people, but now God will be a terror to him. God's destroying angel will be the scourge that he will be powerless to confront or escape from. Remember God's angel that came over at the Passover. None could escape except by the blood. Even though Moses had escaped from Egypt to the land of Midian and there married and lived for many years until God called him to lead the Israelites out of bondage, God saw the nomadic Midianites as evil in their worship of Baal. They had enticed Israeli men to whoring with the woman of Midian and then worshiping Baal. For this he had Moses send 12,000 warriors to battle and destroy the Midianites, resulting in the slaughter of all the men and the women that were not virgins. The rock of Oreb, was the place one of the Midianite princes escaped to after the battle, and there he was also slain, making the slaughter of the Midianites complete. And Isaiah uses that example to show how complete will be the destruction of Assyria and its king. Excuse me. Supposed to be my reminder. And let me just finish this paragraph. After the battle, that that prince was also slain at the rock of Oreb. As I, Isaiah uses that example to show how complete will be the destruction of Assyria and its king, Sennacherib, who will run to the temple of his god, Nisroch, and be killed there. So the same punishment will be completed for the king of Assyria as it was one of the princes of Midian. Okay, well... Any, any questions or comments or any confusion that I've caused this morning? Okay, Pastor?